So one of the things that I was thinking about is the intersection that you bring of your incredibly passionate radical politics to technology and media. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where your passion for media and technology comes from. So I was born in Brooklyn, and my mom, her name was Janet Cyril. She was a Black Panther, but also she wanted to be a writer. And she wanted to write books for adolescent girls. And one of the reasons she wanted to write books for adolescent girls is because you know, when she was an adolescent girl, uh, my mother had sickle cell anemia, which is a genetic blood disease. So she had it all her life. And so um, my mother's parents, my grandparents, did not tell her that she had sickle cell anemia until she was much older. The way that they dealt with it was that she was complaining and that she was lying about the pain that she was in. Mm. Um, my mom also was a survivor of child sexual abuse and of physical abuse. She was very dark-skinned in a family where, for the most part, people were light-skinned. Um, so on, on all of these different levels, uh, my mom struggled with this question of what was the truth. And uh, she actually got herself to college. She took a train across the United States mm -hmm. um, to integrate a fully white college in the Midwest. Actually, her roommate there was Lori Anderson, the performance artist. And together, they left that college and they went to New York. They joined SNCC. They did that work for a while. My mom heard Bobby Seale speak, and she was like, forget SNCC, we got to join the Black Panther Party. My mother was the kind of person who, when I came out at the age of 12, she brought me to the Black Women's Writers Conference at Mega Evers College in Brooklyn, New York. And she dragged me by my collar up to the microphone, and it was you know, Barbara Smith and Audre Lorde and other black women writers on the panel. And she said, tell them you're a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> tell them that you're a lesbian and that you want to be a writer. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> but I did. And as a result, I got my first chat book published by Kitchen Table Press because my mom kept pushing and I, you know, ended up being mentored by Audre Lorde because my mom kept pushing. You know, I went on to be a poet on the New Yorican Poets Cafe circuit because my mom kept pushing. Um, and, and all of that is because, because of her. My mom was a writer. She was interested in culture. But at the heart of it was about all these different ways to tell the truth. Whether you're talking about media or you're talking about art or you're talking about technology, this is what shapes our, our universe, you know? And that this is where decisions are made. This is how politics emerges. But more than politics, this is how we understand what's true and what's not true. And so I came into this work both uh, because I wanted to continue the story my mother was telling about black people, about uh, power in, in this country, about, about race and racism, and then I wanted to take it further, you know, than she had been able to. So that's really, I don't come to media and technology as a technologist. I come to it because I believe that culture shapes politics. And that belief was instilled in me by my mom because of who she was. Yeah. 
That's amazing. And now um, that we see so many struggles in this space that are going to affect every single thing that we do, um, what kind of stories are resonating with different communities that you're passing through? How does this resonate with communities that, to me, are the transformative power of the country? I mean, one, we have to tell the story of media in this country, mm. right? We have to tell the story that whether you're talking about the printing press or you're talking about radio or you're talking about broadcast television or you're talking about cable, every time a new innovation happens in communication, there is a power struggle over it. And that power struggle, if private interests or state interests grab hold of that new technology, of that innovation, the rest of us lose out. Mm -hmm. And that's been true across the board. So in order to really understand the growth of the internet, you don't have to understand all the technology. You don't have to understand you know, all the different ways companies have blocked each other and how it you know, became three to five companies. You don't need to understand all of that. What you need to understand is that this is the same thing that happened when the printing press was created hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We live in a capitalist economy, and capital grows. That's all it does. A communications technology born in that economy, all it can do is serve the interests of the ruling class. That's all it can do. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It can't do anything else without intervention, without organizing an intervention. So we have to tell the story of why you have public access channels. We have to tell the story of why a newspaper, you can buy a newspaper or you could buy a newspaper for a dollar or 25 cent or whatever, because all of that was the result of organizing. That didn't just happen. You know what I'm saying? And people yeah. don't know that story. Yeah. They know how we got voting rights, but they don't know how we got the right to communicate. That's how we got to tell the story of the Internet. We have to tell people that the Internet was created by geeks and freaks and garages all across <laughs> this country. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That's, that's, who, that's who created the Internet, not Verizon, AT&T, and Comcast. We have to tell them that those companies use billions of public dollars to create the Internet, billions of public dollars to do that. They franchise with our cities where we live to cut into our ground where we live and work to make a product that they now consider theirs, right? They say, we can give you whatever service we want. It's private. We built it. It's ours. Actually, you didn't build it by yourself. And it doesn't matter. All you did was build the hardware. Everything inside that hardware is us. Everything that makes the Internet what it is today is a, a content producer, a regular person put that on the Internet and made it what it is. So it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to us. And that's the thing that we have to say. Thinking about someone listening to this recording 50 years from now, sometime in the future, and if you had a message to give them, something that you needed them to know about you or your story or what's happening right now, what would you tell them? I'm one person. I'm one person in billions and billions of people. But because we're in a time where we have the kind of digital technology that connects us in the way that we do, I am connected to 
thousands of people all across this world, not just the country. And I'm able to not only learn, but also tell my story, you know. And I'm blessed because my mother's legacy is going to live on in a digital space. And it's going to live on because I don't have to rely on MSNBC. I don't have to rely on cable television. I can tell my story and have that remain. And so that, that to me, is worth more than uh, anyone can possibly imagine, to be able to tell a story that otherwise would never be told and to have that story reach thousands of people, millions of people, and be preserved on a democratic communications platform, that's amazing. That's never happened, and it's happening now.